1: The world around us is constantly changing, consistently failing and fighting against the rules and lie about who you are. The world seeks connection, but is drowning in separation and division and fighting against everything we stand for. The world seeks to be the answer to something that someone greater than us designed. God calls us to have skillful hands, so we will develop confidence and competence in who Jesus is. Men join teams to win we will develop authentic and intentional relationships. We will become fully known by a few. We are stronger together. Our
0: enemy says a man's purpose is pleasure, but pursuing Jesus as Lord is our ultimate pleasure. So we will joyfully take our next step of faith. Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve, so we will develop a heart to invest in
1: others. We are creating a disciple-making culture we will become disciple makers. We will be unleashed to be the full force of the church, one man at a time. Our end game is not to be the best we can be, but rather to make Jesus' name known and Him famous. This is our purpose. This is Southeast Men's. Let's go. All right, guys, let's make our way in here. Let's make our way in. Hey, guys, I always love coming and standing before you guys and um, getting a chance to see all these guys coming in and chatting as they come on. Come on in, guys. March Madness. All right, it's madness for everybody, I think. Hey, just out of the sweet 16, how many of you guys, um, by show of hands, how many of you guys still have, well, I know no one has 16, okay, but how many have 14? Anyone have 14? Raise your hand. Who does Burke, you got 14? You got 14 teams. Okay, no. How many of you have 10? How many of you have 10 teams in a Sweet 16 from your original bracket? All right, what about eight? We got some eights. Six? Four? All right, well, surely by that, man, you got it. Hey, I, I love watching March Madness. I love watching anything with sports. But i tell you what I love the most is at the very end, whoever wins it, the reporter's going to stick a microphone in someone's face. And I love when a, an athlete gives glory to God. Man, I'll stay up late just for the hope of someone that will give glory to God. Um, I love that. Hey, we, go, we have somebody come up and talk about our values. And normally when people come and MC, they normally talk about um, one of our four values. And they may talk a little bit about that. The thing I love about the values is none of the values really... Um, never are played out until Proverbs 27, 17. You gotta have that. Iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. We have to have that. That's why I love men's ministry. I have people around me that will rub me the wrong way. They will say things in my life that I need to hear. Not what I wanna hear, but what I need to hear. And so that, that's what I love about Man Challenge. And hopefully you have some guys... In your world that will rub you the wrong way that we can all get where we want to get and that's by following Christ and understanding our need for Savior I got just a couple announcements because I don't want to dig into our our, um, speakers time as you can tell he's got a lot of a lot of things going on up here today Um, our announcements um, operation sprinkling okay you have something on your table the QR code is going to come up here's the deal guys we have 21 um, widows that we want to serve in our church, 21. We're going to need about 75 volunteers. Now, what I mean 75 volunteers, um, yes, it can be you guys. Maybe you can get together as a table, but we're not just saying just you guys. It could be your wives. It could be um, your kids. There's nothing like modeling um, being a servant of Christ like taking our kids out with us, okay? So that is an option as well. I just need you to go to the QR code, um, sign up for that. We need about 75 to 80 is what Andy, Andy's telling me. That is Saturday, April 15th. We will meet at 8.30 or it'll go till noon. Okay, so that is, um, that is a great way uh, to serve. The next day, Sunday, April 16th, I feel um, inadequate or even uncomfortable sharing about this, but our FCA night of champions, that Sunday, April the 16th, it's going to be at Northeast Christian Church. And what that is, is that is an event where we brag on what God is doing on the campus of the University of Louisville. Okay, meet and greet is at 6, goes to 645. We'll have a silent auction there, and then we will um, start the program at 7. It'll go till 815, uh, and it'll be a great, great night. Peyton, see if it's Peyton here. Yeah, Peyton Peyton's, Peyton's going to be our speaker, and I um, really look forward um, to that. I'm going to bring out our speaker. Come on out here, Joe Donaldson. Only one person probably can, can pull this thing off Where they bring a um, throne. It's Joe. Joe, thanks for being here, man. Good. I'm excited. I'm not going to cut into your time. I look good. forward to... Um, yeah, good. <laughs> uh, I asked um, I asked Bob Russell what he appreciated most about you. Here's what he said. He said, I love that Joe excels at interacting with the audience as a teacher. He has a unique creative gift of making Scripture come alive by imagining the Bible character's human response to situations in ways to help us see ourselves in the Bible. I believe that, man. Let me hmm. pray for Joe, and he's going to get in hmm. it. Father, I thank you for your love and your grace. I thank you, God, for um, just all the men that got up early to, um, to hear, from, hear from you. So, Lord, I pray that Joe will stick to his Bible. Father, hmm. I pray that he will... Do what Bob just said. It'll make the Bible come alive by the power of your Holy Spirit. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Give it up for Joe Donaldson. All right.
0: So we're going to start this morning with something that Bob Russell would never have done. All right, we're going to play Name That Tune. All right, and so just a second, uh, Andy's going to play a video up on the screen. So you'll have both the visual and the audible thing, and you need to name the Singer and the name of the song. Now your whole table is competing, so you can work together as a table. As soon as y'all got it, raise your hand, jump up and down, whatever, because our prizes for your table. So when you're so when you know the, the name of the performer and the name of the song, jump up and down so we'll know who you are and we'll go from there. Andy, you ready? Here it goes.
1: I found a girl. You
0: Okay, this table right back here. This uh, table back here claims it. What do you got? Name of the song. Perfect. That's it. That's it. Congratulations. All right. All right. Uh, table number 378, or whoever you are, I right, get ready. I'm going to throw it halfway to you right here, sir, in the red sweatshirt. There it is. Oh, good job. Good hands. Right. That table on back. Okay. All right. Yeah, there you go. There you go. All right. That. There are wonderful things about Easter. That was one of them. Those are Reese's eggs, and so your table gets to share those. The name of the song was Perfect by Ed Sheeran. What a way to start the morning. Okay, um, this this weekend, my wife and I facilitated a wedding. Uh, I I performed the wedding. She was the wedding coordinator. We did it at our little retreat house for a young couple that we know. And uh, they chose that song as their recessional song. I wasn't that familiar with it. I I I don't really keep up with it. up-to-date things. I was familiar with the name Ed Sheeran, but I didn't realize how big of a deal he is. You know, that song, Perfect, and then another one he uses, oh, Words I Speak Out Loud or something like that. Those are the two number one songs for first dances for people in weddings. Matter of fact, some of you guys, maybe you may not remember, you may have danced to that song, uh, one of those two songs. Uh, that video that he popped up there has been viewed on YouTube 3.4 Billion times with a B, billion times. Uh, over the last decade, he's like the, the, his music's been the most downloaded, streamed, whatever, uh, one of the top three in, in the world of all performers. I, he's a big deal. I, I didn't really realize that and stuff. But what's interesting is as I was getting ready for, to do that music for their, wedding and stuff, I also read a little bit about a story. It wasn't always that case. This guy's only a little over 30. He's from England. He came to the U.S., going to make it big in music, uh, but he didn't have a really connection, so he just came here, started trying to perform, find somebody to see him, and it, for, for several years, it didn't work very well. Yeah, he, he really, really struggled. He was just you know working odd jobs to get by, like so many musicians. He's just trying to make it. He ends up out in Los Angeles, not having any success. He's playing in some some tiny little dive bar somewhere, trying to play his music, and somebody hears him. It's actually, it was the comedian Jamie Foxx hears him, thinks this guy's really talented. So he goes up to him after the performance, introduced himself, said, hey, I think you're really talented. Uh, you know, I'd like to help you. He goes, oh, that's awesome. He goes, what do you need? He said, well, right now, I could use a place to stay. He, he, he was you know, semi-homeless, and so he ends up supposedly, this is what Jamie Foxx says, sleeping on his couch for six weeks. You know, he, that guy, he just needed a place to stay. And Jamie Foxx introduced him to some people, uh, got him into a live performance that he was a part of, and the rest is history. I mean, he's, again, now he's suddenly, you know, one of the most successful entertainers in all the world. We love those rags-to-riches stories, those, where somebody, you know, it, you know, seemingly has nothing, and then they become, you know, world-famous, wealthy, blah, blah, blah. We, we, we love those stories. And that's not, that's not a new phenomenon. Throughout the history of mankind, rags-to-riches stories are out there, and it's interesting, the Bible has them. And today, in Genesis 41, we're going to look at the Maybe the ultimate Bible, biblical rags to riches story. We've been going through the life of Joseph, and we're at chapter 41, and we're going to have this incredible rags to riches moment. But in the in the midst of this biblical passage, I think you're going to find at least several lessons for you in your life. I don't know where you're on the rags to riches continuum, but uh, there's lessons in here for us. So if you have your Bible, you can turn to Genesis chapter 41. I have to tell you, this is a huge chapter. It's 57 verses. I love to go verse by verse. We just don't have time today to go verse by verse, so I'm going to have to summarize some sections of it, but we will walk through it. And so if you have your Bible, it'd be really handy to kind of walk along with me. Uh, Verse 1 is always a good place to start, so we'll do that. It says, uh, when two full years had passed, Pharaoh had a dream. Two years had passed from what? Well, from chapter 40, and you all studied that last week, chapter 40, Uh, uh, Joseph is in prison. And it's it's interesting because we see the dates in this. As a 17-year-old, well-built, handsome man, he was on top of the world. His brothers, out of their jealousy and anger, end up selling him into slavery. And from the age 17 to the age 30, he was either a slave or in prison, falsely accused. Imagine spending the ages 17 to 30 e- either a slave to somebody else in a, in a culture that you're not familiar with in a land far away from your family or, or in prison false, falsely accused. That's been the last 13 years of Joseph's life. While in prison, again, he excelled as a slave. He excelled in prison. People gave him responsibility, but he's there in prison. Two high-ranking officials get put in the same prison. It's the cupbearer and the baker. I mean, they sound like like a, you know, fairy tale characters, but I mean, they were, they were like cabinet positions of the president, but this is a pharaoh, his cupbearer, his chief baker, and they're in there, and they both have dreams. And uh, Joseph comes in and says, hey, what, what are you all so down? And he goes, well, we've had dreams. We don't know what to do with them. He goes, well, tell them to me because I, you know, I, interpretation of dreams belongs to God. I, I can do this. And so they told him that he interpreted the dreams, and both of their dreams are going to be three days later, one was going to be lifted back up, cup, the cupbearer back into his vision, and the baker, you're going to get lifted up and hung. <laughs> and then uh, and, and it happened. And so that, that, that's how last week's lesson, chapter 40, ended. But it said that the cupbearer, Joseph said, hey, man, when you get back into power, remember me, man. You know, you, you put in a good word to Pharaoh, I don't belong here. And... Uh, and it ended with chapter 40 of saying that, that the cupbearer didn't do that. He, he didn't remember Joseph. And I get it. I mean, when you when you first get into a job, you don't want to risk it. I mean, he's already been sent to prison once. He's going to be on the down low. And but he just he, you know he didn't he didn't advocate for Joseph. But now it's two two years later, and it says that Pharaoh has a dream. Now, here in Genesis, in the life of Joseph, Joseph had two dreams. The cupbearer and the baker had, had two dreams, and now Pharaoh's going to have two dreams. So I'm going to have to summarize real quick. The dream is pretty straightforward. He, he said uh, he had this dream where uh, he was standing by the Nile. The, the river Nile dominates Egypt, and uh, so he's standing by it, and out of the water comes seven, seven cattle, <clears throat> which was not uncommon. I mean, some of you if you grow up in Kentucky and farm ponds, the cattle will go into the farm pond to stay cool in the summer. Imagine being in, in Egypt in the Middle East, they'd come up out of the Nile, they started eating, and they were big, beautiful, full, <laughs> fat cattle. And then, but then out of the Nile came seven more cattle, and they were ugly and gaunt and, and emaciated I really wanted to say that word. okay, that got it in there, okay? Right, uh, and uh, uh, just just terrible- looking cattle, and they came out and they ate. The big seven healthy ones, and that startled him. and And, and he, he said, said that he woke up, and then he fell back asleep. And this time, he, he, he in his dream, there was a single stalk of grain. And, uh, and again, Egypt was kind of known as the breadbasket of the Middle East because the Nile River would flood every year and they'd have fertile ground, and so they had the stalk of grain. And, uh, and there were seven uh, heads of grain on it, and they were big and beautiful and healthy. But then there were seven small, kind of uh, windblown, weak-looking heads, but the weak ones ate the other ones. And he had this dream, and he woke up, and he was bothered by the dream. The Egyptians believed powerfully in dreams and the power of them. And if the leader of your country has two, two dreams like this, he goes, this is significant. So he brings in his advisors. Uh, the, the, the Egyptians were very big on interpretation of dreams. They, they, they have found what they would call dream books or dream encyclopedias, they, they you know what all these things mean. But nobody seems to be able to give him a good answer. I'm sure they gave him some answer, but I think he just said, nah, I don't think you're right. And so he was frustrated because he'd had these two very strong dreams and he didn't have an interpretation. All right, so we're going to pick it back up here Here in, uh, uh, we'll pick it up, uh, verse 9. It says here, Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, Oh, today I'm reminded of my shortcomings. Pharaoh was once angry with his servants, and he imprisoned me and the chief baker in the house of the captain of the guard. Each of us had a dream that same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. Now a young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard, and we told him our dreams and he interpreted them for us and he was he was dead on. Mm, shouldn't have said dead on for the baker. Anyway, all right. So, um, So suddenly suddenly he remembers Joseph. Why does he suddenly remember Joseph? So, you know, remember Bob Russell said I interact with the audience, and that's what I'm about to do right now. So, <laughs> so uh, so he said he said why does a cupbearer remember him now? What was that? Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. He interpreted a dream, but but the cupbearer. Why does he bring? In, why does he remember Joseph now? I agree with that. Like God's timing. That's a good answer. That, that is a good answer. Yeah, I mean, thank you, Dwight. He he he. He, he wants to. He, he I mean, it, there's an advantage to it now. I mean, before there wasn't really advantage for him to re, to. Hey, hey, Pharaoh, I got this guy. That, you know, that I owe a favor to. But now, and I have to say, I can relate to that. Uh, I, we talked about this last week when, in the classes that I was teaching. I mean, it's really easy for me to forget the people that help along the way until you need them and stuff. And, and then this morning, I woke up at a ridiculous hour to get here. I don't know why you all do this, but God bless you. All right. But anyway, and, and I woke up, and the first thing on my mind was to pray to God. You know what? That's not always my first thing on my mind, but I was coming here to teach. I'm not sure about uh, this a little bit different setting. I, I haven't taught this lesson before. So I need God this morning, and so I remembered him. And then it just, it just hit me. Oh, that's what I do, isn't it? With God, with other people, many times I can be like this cupbearer. I, I remember you when I need you. That was just a little, uh, just it something for you to ask yourself sometime. Am I remembering these people because I need them or because... Uh, Because I love and care about him. Anyway, so he remembers them. He says, Hey, I got this this young Hebrew. He could interpret dreams and maybe he could help you because if he does it, as White says, then I'm going to look good. All right, let's see what happens. So, uh, verse 14 so Pharaoh sent for Joseph and he was quickly brought from the dungeon. And when he had shaved and changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh. So they said, Well, all right, Joseph, we need you. And so suddenly they need you. So they go to prison. Joseph, you need to come before Pharaoh. But you can't come like that, man. You've been. For the last 13 years, he's been a slave or in prison. I mean, he he is not fit to be, come before Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world. So they clean him up, they shave him. Uh, the Hebrews would grow a beard. The Egyptians, if, you're, uh, if you were in high levels, you would be clean shaven. So they cleaned him up, brought him before Pharaoh, and let's see what happens. Verse 15, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream, and no one can interpret it. But I've heard it said that... that uh, I've heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Here's his big moment. Here is his opportunity. Pharaoh himself, the most powerful man in the world, says, "I need you, and I hear you can interpret dreams." And if I was there, my sense would be, I, I would say, "Yes, I can." But let's see what Joseph says. And actually, I think, I think Andy, we have this verse. I think, yeah. He says, "I cannot do it." Joseph replied to Pharaoh, "But God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires." So he it, it, it has this little double answer here. He first says, I can't do it. But then he says, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. I, I think both phrases are, are powerful. When he says, I cannot do it, what, what do we learn about Joseph by him right away saying, I, I can't do it. I can't do it on my own. What, 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 what does that tell us about, about Joseph? Right, there's a real humility about it him. Man, at this, I mean, because in a sense, I mean, because everyone says you interpreted the dreams. He goes, no, I, I, I don't do that on my own. I, that, I can't do it. You asked me to interpret this dream on my own. I can't do it. So there's humility about it. And I don't think it's a false humility because I get that. We see a lot of that in our culture. <laughs> really, I'm not that awesome. <laughs> You're getting the lights here. Okay. You know, I mean, you know, we, I, I just, uh, but I, I think he, he's, a, but then he says, but God will give favor the answer he desires. Listen, I can't do it, but God can do it. So what is that? Cause it's, what's powerful about this statement in this setting? Anybody? That, that was pretty vague, I know, but All right, so he's redirecting. He saying, "Hey, don't tension's not on me. Tension's going to be on God because when I interpret this dream, and I, and I will, it'll be because God did it. What else is pretty significant about him saying it to, to Pharaoh? You know, well, Pharaoh doesn't believe in his god. Pharaoh, the, the, the Egyptian culture was filled with gods. Oh, and by the way, Pharaoh was considered a god. So he's saying to Pharaoh, hey, so you got a dream no one can interpret. Well, let me just tell you, my God, the one God, the only God, he can do your dream. So what kind of God are you? I mean, it's a pretty loaded statement. Not he is not trying to butter up Pharaoh here. He says, listen, uh, I can't do it on my own, but my God can do it, and, and, and it's, it'll, it'll be no big deal. And so it's a really bold statement in a, in a culture that is, has many gods. He says there's only one God, and he's about to give the interpretation. So let's see what happens. So, uh, so Pharaoh says, okay, what, what does he have to lose? And so Pharaoh uh, tells him the dream again, and I've already gone through that. He just repeats the dream, and, uh, and he goes through it. And we get down to, get down to verse 25, where Joseph is going to interpret the, de- the dream along with God verse 25 then Joseph said to Pharaoh the dreams of Pharaoh are one and the same God has revealed to Pharaoh what he has what he's about to do he says listen your dreams are easy they're the same thing they both say the same thing and God's about to reveal it to you so there it is now and again Chris had talked about it. he loves it at the end of the NCAA tournament where somebody gives credit to God well boy Joseph is definitely doing that. He says, listen, I, I know what the dream means. I'm about to tell you God's revealed it to me. I'm about to reveal it to you. And so, so he goes through it. And so he goes. He says, it's pretty simple. The seven cows are seven good years. The seven uh, the, the, the scrawny cows that eat them are seven bad years. The seven, stalks, the, the seven heads of grain are the good years. The seven tiny ones are bad years. Here's the deal. You're going to have seven great years here in Egypt, and then there's going to be seven years of famine. That, that's, that's what the dream is. And then he ends that interpretation down here in verse 32 by saying, the reason the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms is that the matter has been firmly decided by God and God will do it soon. So he again, he just goes back and says, listen, God's going to reveal it to you. And by the way, now that you know what it is, God, 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 that's what God wanted for you to know what it is. And he's about to do it. So you need to get ready. Boom, there it is. Again, giving credit to God, all that stuff. Again, what did Pharaoh want him to do? Interpret the dream. He's done that. And, and I, at this point, I think it's kind of a drop the mic moment. He would walk off. But he doesn't do that. Look what he does next. This is shocking to me. As a passive, unobtrusive person, I would never do this. Verse 33, listen to what He does. So he he tells the interpretation. And now listen to this. And now let Pharaoh look. This is him talking. And now let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man to put him in charge of the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh appoint a commissioner over the land to take a fifth of the harvest of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. And they should collect all the food of these good years that that are coming and store up the grain under the authority of Pharaoh to be kept in the cities for food. This food should be held in reserve for for the country to be used during the seven years of famine That, that will come upon Egypt. It's coming, so be ready for it, so that the country may not be ruined by the famine. So he interprets the dream, and then he gives them, what would you call that? How would you describe that little paragraph? He gives them a, what was that? Yeah, yeah, a directive, a strategic plan or whatever. Now, that's bold. Not only did he interpret the dream, he said, "This is what you need to do with it." Why do you think Joseph did that? What's that? He had faith. Or he had faith. Oh, okay, but I mean, he's he's sticking his nose into their business. Yeah. So hey, you might want to appoint somebody who's really really smart uh, who could do this. I mean, so maybe he was doing some uh, you know, writing his own job description. Okay. Somebody earlier on said, well, it's God's timing. And I think, again, God's saying, hey, uh, Joseph, uh, give him the interpretation. And I think Joseph would say, again, and this, this strategic plan, that's not from me either. I don't think I just all of a sudden came up with, put somebody in charge, take a, you know, take a fifth of all the grain and store up it in the cities. I mean, I think this just flowed. I think the Spirit was just speaking through him and saying, This is what you need. This is God saying to Pharaoh, Pharaoh, I'm going to send a famine. You need to get ready, and this is what you need to do. Why does God need Pharaoh to do this? Yeah, to save the people, and not just his people, but all the people. This is all part of God's plan here. When he says to Abraham, generations before, your people will save the world, this is going to be a little snapshot of that. Oh, yeah, remember Joseph has 11 brothers who betrayed him who are going to eventually, well, I don't want to get ahead because you won't come back next week. But anyway... uh, I mean, this, this, is, this is, I mean, God's, and so he throws out this plan. But this is what's crazy, verse 30, 37, the plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to all of his officials. They go, well, that's a, good, that's a good plan. Maybe we should do something like that. So Pharaoh asked them, well, can we find anyone like this man, uh, this, this man, one in whom the spirit, one in whom is the spirit of God? I have to say, probably a better translation is one in whom is the spirit of the gods, because I don't think Pharaoh suddenly become a believer in the one true God. He's going to get some evidence later, but he says, I mean, you know, is there anybody better than this guy? Now again, if you're the other officials, how do you feel about this? Because Pharaoh is about to put this guy, who this morning was a slave, he's about to put him in charge, he's about to put him in second in command. And it's not just the goofy American vice president doesn't really do anything. This guy is going to be in charge of everything, okay? <laughs> I and mean, he's going to be, he's doing something. So let me ask you this, if you were the other officials, how would you feel about this? If you were as other, if, if you were the cupbearer, how would you feel about this? Uh, I just brought him in for the interpretation. I didn't really anticipate him being, I mean, I, this would be hard, and I gotta tell you, Joseph is gonna be in this position for at least the next 14 years and more, and I gotta tell you, I, I don't think everybody was on his side when he took this position. I mean, I put this: who do you think was nervous when Joseph was put in this position? What was that? Yeah. Well, what was that? Potiphar. Potiphar. Who else? Dream and Trippers. The Dream interpreters, Yeah. They, they got trumped. Yeah. And, and now they're kind of out of business because they got this Joseph guy who doesn't really need him. I got, there's one other person I think we should think about that may be a little nervous. Potiphar. Potiphar's wife. Absolutely, man. When you come up for the big social events, and you look over, and the guy that's in charge of the country, you falsely accused, I think that made for some awkward moments. But they, all of a sudden, Joseph is in charge. And I think, I think people went, really? And Pharaoh said, really? Let's see what happens. All right, so, uh, so he puts him in charge. Uh, but but, he, but it, it, he doesn't do anything yet. Let's see what, what happens here. Um, Verse 39, then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace, and all my people are to submit to your orders, and only with respect to the throne will I be greater Listen, I'm still your boss, but you're going to run everything. And I think we have these next verses up here, uh, verse 41, I think, do we? Uh, Verse 41 says, so Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Well, that's a big job description. All right, and then he goes on to say, he says, uh, then Pharaoh took a signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. Again, that, that would be, that'd be a, a seal saying that it's official. He dressed him in robes of fine linen. People are always putting robes on Joseph, all right, and put a gold chain around his neck, and, uh, which is something about middle age. I'm not sure, but anyway, so he does that, and then, and then he had him ride in a chariot as his second-in-command. So he goes from being in prison to now being in a chariot. I mean, what an incredible... Rags the richest story. And people shouted before him, make way, which actually, oh, we even have the little little if you go to the study note that isn't there, it actually would probably be more literally bow down. There's a little flashback to a dream. And and thus he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. He's in charge. And if you read on, which we don't have time to do, that's exactly what Joseph does. He takes over and he starts he does exactly what he said he was gonna do. He started gathering the grain because it begins right away. He said, We've got seven years, let's start doing it. They gather the grain, they create storehouses, they bring the grain together, they, 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 they put it all, all together, they hold on to it, and then when the famine starts, they have the grain to tear it for their own people, and soon as the famine went on and on and expanded throughout the Middle East, people from all over, including the land of Canaan, started coming for help. It's God playing out his plan. And Joseph was a part of it. So was Pharaoh. But again, it's this incredible rags. I mean, he goes from being, you know, in the morning, you know, scrubbing the floors in the prison as a, as a servant, you know, just as low as can be, he's a, he's a servant in a prison to, to seemingly within a day sitting in the throne of power. What an incredible rags, from, from, from scrubbing the floors to sitting in power, riding around in a chariot. It's an incredible story. It's an incredible story. As we think about that, though, I mean, most of us haven't had quite that sort of transformation in life, but I do think there's lessons for us to pull out of this. And, uh, and, and so as I think through that, I think of three lessons. The first lesson I would think of is, what prepared Joseph to be in this position? Well, what prepared Joseph to be ready to, to essentially run the most powerful uh, nation in the world at that time? What, what, what's prepared him to do that? I mean, his, his resume doesn't really look like it fits it too much. But what's that? Adversity. Adversity has prepared him. Okay, absolutely. Thank you, Dwight. Anybody else? What's that? His dream. Oh, his dream. Yeah, he's kind of had a vision of this, and he he he, he feels like he's always been called to something like this. I appreciate that. That's a good idea. What else? Yeah, his obedience in what? You know, so yeah, he's relied upon. So here's what's interesting. You know, when he went to when he got sold as a slave to Potiphar, and he came into the house, Potiphar said, "You know what? This guy's outstanding. Everything he does." you know, God blesses, but also he, he, I can trust him. And and so he was, I mean, he exceeded in the role of slave. My sense is if I ever got sold into slavery, I probably wouldn't be an overachiever that's just me, okay? Uh, and, uh, and I also don't think I'd bring a very high, high price either. That's a whole nother deal. Uh, but, 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 then, but then, even at that, even though he's an overachiever, he gets falsely accused and thrown into prison. And man, if I had been falsely accused and thrown into prison, I don't think I'd be a model prisoner, but Joseph was. So here's my thought on this. I mean, when he gets to sit in the throne, that's not when he really started trying to rely upon God and do his best. He had been doing that all along, all along. Jesus Christ, uh, in teaching one of his parables, would say this, would say this. He would say, whoever, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much, and whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? This is Jesus Christ, about the shrewd manager, he's saying, listen. If if you're trustworthy in little things, you can be trustworthy in big things. And guys, most of us are at a place in life where we think, man, if I could only get here, I would really kick it in. And I think God would say, well, yeah, but you're here right now, so why don't you kick it in right now? Why don't you live with the passion and the power and the intensity that you would want, you're waiting for this. Why don't you do it right now? Why don't we do it in our relationships, in our, if you have children? I mean, gosh, I, I look back and I think if only I had just poured myself more into that. If all these different things, instead of waiting until you get here, do it now. Do it now. The Apostle Paul would later say, whatever you do, do it as unto the Lord. And not just when you get into an important role. But when, oh, hold it, every role is important, every role. So that's, that's lesson number one is, is wherever you're at, do it unto the Lord and, and, and do it well, do it well. And if you think, man, I got a piddly job, I got this, that, do it exceedingly well. Number two, and, and Chris talked about this earlier, but I mean, Joseph gave all the glory to God. And, you know, and we see that in our culture. You know, Chris talked about loving to see that. Sometimes it's kind of awkward in our culture. Some people do it better than others, I think. Uh, it's not always well received, but I, but I appreciate the, the willingness of people to say, listen, I, I can only do this through God's strength. Now, now Oscar Shebway. I mean, a UK, I don't want to... Uh, that's all we have as old dreams, us UK fans. But uh, but you know he's he's phenomenal at you know giving credit to God. I just I just really wish God had helped him with defending the pick and roll. But that's a whole other deal. All right. So uh, but uh, but but he's really good at it and stuff. Uh, here's my question for you though, because most of us aren't going to win the national championship and have somebody put a microphone in our in our face, and we're not going to be Ed Sheeran and have people watch my video 3.4 billion times. It's not going to look like that. Here's my question for you. Do you really think that what you do is done through the power of God? Again, one thing I've also noticed, they only ask the person who won the game do we give glory to God? I think the people who lost the game need to give glory to God as well, and and the people who are just working at a job. So here's my question: Is, is do you really feel like God makes a difference in your life? Do you really feel that? I, I remember years ago, Bob Russell told the story. I, gosh, we've referred to Bob several times here today, uh, but he talked about that one night he couldn't sleep, and so he got up and he put a video in his VCR. This is a while back uh, of himself preaching. And I thought, that's weird, personally. I mean, I mean you, know, to, you know, but to get up. But also, I mean, if you can't go to sleep, watch a sermon. That's a good idea. So maybe, that, maybe it does work. I don't know. But he said he was watching the sermon, and it hit him that he's not that good. It just hit him that says, you know, I don't think on my own I'm that good. And so he had this moment of sensing that God had used him in a way. Well, that's easy for Bob Russell to say. But what about you? Do you, do you have a sense that God has really made a difference in your life, and you're better Because of God working in and through you? I would say even the gifts that you have, whatever they are, they came from God. So I just think it's number two is can we have a mindset that God is empowering me, that God is moving through me, that God is allowing me to do things that are beyond me? And you just need to wrestle with that some and ask God about that. Is that really happening and am I aware of it? Am I aware of it? All right, then number three, my third thought on lessons-wise is uh, uh, hmm. where do you think his faith was most tested, when he's down on the ground washing the floors in the prison or when he's sitting in the throne of power? Where is his faith most tested? So I would say they both have their both have their challenges amen. I mean, I mean when you're when you're sitting there in the prison or you're a slave, what are the challenges to our faith there? What what's the challenges to our faith there? I mean, we've got doubt, we've got disappointment, we've got bitterness, we've got we got I mean, he had all sorts and so man that can really eat away but boy, I tell you right now, we think that when we get here, we'll be more faithful, but this has its own set of challenges. What's the challenges you said what's challenges here? What is it? prosperity can eat you alive. I mean, we think that when we have prosperity, we'll actually be more faithful. It's a tremendous challenge. Power, prosperity, man, they're, they're, they're challenging. What else is the problem here? Pride. Pride, man, you think you have arrived. Because look at you. you. I mean, he goes from being a slave to number two in command. Man, that gives you a little strut in your step. All right, what else? Greed. Greed. You can now. You got power. You can get even more. I mean, guys, I just I just want to encourage you that whether you're down and out or at the peak of whatever your world is, there's challenges in both and there's opportunities in both. But you need to be aware that you may be thinking, "Man, I I want to get there," but when you get there, you better have your eyes open because there has its own problems and stuff. So so again so just three quick lessons, you know, you know the, the first one is the idea of uh, you know, if you want to do great things then do little things well. All right for, for for God. And number two, give really think to yourself, do I really believe that God gives me power? And then number 3 be ready and be aware because you're going to have challenges at either place and everywhere in between, but you're also going to have opportunities, great opportunities. And one thing about Joseph is Joseph sees the opportunities in life uh, to bring God, God into the picture in his own life and the life of others. All right, uh, the rag to riches story. We love the, why do we love those rag to riches stories so much? Why, why, why do they catch our attention? Why, why do we love rags to riches stories? hope. Who said that? Yeah, okay. Somebody over here said something similar, but I really like that answer, so I'm going to go with this one. Uh, They give us a sense of hope. Because, you know, if I'm down here and I hear a story, I think, man, maybe someday I can be there. I mean, rag to riches stories give us hope. And I get that. I get that. So as I thought about this lesson, I thought, wow, yeah, I get that. But, you know, there's another story that I think even gives us more hope. And it's not quite rags to riches. Actually, y'all can help me with this a little bit. It's riches to rags. It's Jesus Christ, God himself, sitting on the throne in heaven who says, you know what? I don't have to hold on to this. I can empty myself of that and come and live among my creation. But not just live among my creation, but I can come to be the servant of all. And not, pictured wonderfully in his washing the feet of the apostles, but even more significant and he washed us, not just our feet, but all of ourselves by dying on the cross. And so he sets aside the throne to come and live among us to serve us, to die on the cross, so its riches to rags. That's a story that gives us hope. But the story's not quite done yet, is it? Because what happens next? Well, he ascends... He comes back to life and then he ascends back into heaven and he sits down on the throne and he says to you, close your eyes right now, close your eyes, and he says to you, I'm waiting for you to come and join me. It's the riches to rags to riches story that gives us ultimate hope. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you that this story way, way back thousands of years about Joseph is a snapshot of us and Lord uh, uh, that you are with us and that you do want to empower us and you want to come alongside of us and you want to stand with us in times of adversity and in times of prosperity and Lord I thank you that you did not stay on the throne of heaven but you came and you lived among us you walked among us and you died among us for us and Lord, I praise you that you loved us enough so to do that, I also praise you that you had the power to overcome death and return to heaven and you're awaiting to pray, take us home. Lord, all these things we're praying in the glorious name of Jesus Christ, amen. Thank you, gentlemen. Thanks for listening to this week's Bible teaching from Man Challenge at the Blankenbaker Campus of Southeast Christian Church. For more information on how to get involved, reach out to us via the email address in our podcast description or find us on social media